we've got faith in the flywheel. We've got our colleagues who trust each other. We've got a healthy management team that can have conflict, but will always commit to the outcome of decision. We know what our values are and we live and breathe them because of the why that gets us up and that's developed our vision. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by James Fernandez. James is the Managing Director of Carrington West, a company he co-founded in 2011. Carrington West is an award-winning recruitment company with over 60 team members specializing in placing technical talent with industries such as highways, transport and infrastructure, town planning, water and environmental, utilities, power, telecoms, building and rail industries. James, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. No, thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. So um, I reached out to you. I mean, I've, I've I'd heard of Carrington West over the years, and recently you were recognised as one of the hot 100 recruiting companies in the UK by Recruiter Magazine, and that was a sort of prompt to remind me that I I would love to have you on the show. Uh, you guys have been in business coming up for 10 years now, and I'd love to understand, you know, some of the secrets to your success and and some maybe some of the mistakes that you've made along the way. Uh, so I'm excited. Um, James, could you talk a little bit, let me try that again. Could you talk a little bit about starting the business up uh, and it was your first, you know, time as a managing director and how you have built that over 10 years to, you know, such a successful team? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, ten years ago, t- yeah, ten years ago, just just uh, gone in January. So we're very proud of that in, within the business, um, and we're completely unrecognisable from from that first year, as you can imagine. With two of us in a in an office, um, that was a converted garage with no heating, two old laptops, a camping table, um, and nothing but but drive to to try and succeed. Um, and over the years, things have developed immeasurably. Um, with some of the people we've got on board, it's been a fantastic journey. Um, one one sort of key thing at, at the beginning is you you kind of come to you come to understand is that you don't know what you don't know, and and that that's really key. Um, maybe if we had completely understood what was ahead, maybe we wouldn't have done it. But um, what, what gets you up in the morning is, and these are some things that we've we found out by mistake, or we did inadvertently um, without knowing kind of the impacts it could have. But we, we had a very strong why um, when we started. Um, and anyone who's listened to or read Simon Sinek's books um, would, would understand. But we had a very strong why of like really trying to be the best that we could, that, that we could be. Um, and that's continued throughout the business. So it was almost inadvertent that we had this as kind of a founding why for Carrington West. Um, but that is what got us out of bed in the morning. It was um, what, you know, continued, uh, well, demanded even harder work from us. And we were never stopping. We were, it was very easy. It could have been very easy to, to quit at 12 o'clock on a Friday and go down the pub. But no, we had the drive just to keep going because we had this fundamental why um, of we believe we can be better um, than all the other recruitment companies out there, better for our clients, whilst creating the best environment we, we, we could. So that was a real driving force at the beginning. Um, and now, as I've understood a lot more about how to how to be an MD or run a recruitment business, you realize how important those foundations are when setting up a culture, if that makes sense. Amazing. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Simon, Simon Sinek's uh, book. And the concept is very powerful, but it's difficult sometimes mm. to really apply it. I'm still, to be honest with you, I'm still experimenting with with my why because it used to be very much around helping recruiters make more placements, but it's a bit meh. And so mm. the current version is empowering recruiters to improve more lives, starting with their own. Great. And because I... I feel like the, making the placement. Obviously, there's the the buzz and and the um, potential, you know, monetary impact of that. But I've found that a lot of the best recruiters who have longevity in this business is much more than that. It's about that, like really having an impact on people's lives and and changing them for the better. So I'm trying to experiment yeah. with that, but I, I, I don't know I, if I've nailed it. 
Yeah, I completely understand. And I think at the beginning, our official vision was to be the number one recruiter within our chosen sectors. But actually, that's a result of what you do rather than kind of the driver, which I think mm. kind of you're, you're on that journey then yourself of twisting that uh, slightly so to better understand. And we just want to keep getting better. Um, and, and, you know, that ado is never a sentence that we utter in, in our offices. Um, so we kind of, we've, I've investigated that and looked a bit deeper. And it's, and so we discovered our why from, from, you know, we want to be number one. How do you be number one? Well, we're just getting better every single day. Right. Awesome. Love it. And so when you started the business, did you plan to really scale a, a large recruitment business or like what was the vision at the at the outset? Yeah, definitely. We um, every, every system we put in place or decision we made and, our, and all of our processes, we used to say to ourselves, this was Simon and I uh, in the very early days, will this do for 100 people? So are we bringing in the system just for us two, which we're going to have to change when the other directors um, joined us 18 months later, or we're going to put in place some real sustainable processes, systems that would, would do for 100 people. So that was, that was what we always had in our head because we always knew we were going to succeed and maybe, you know, we haven't succeeded yet. So maybe I'm speaking a bit too um, prematurely, but yeah, we had the faith that we were getting here. So we had to set up the business in a way to cope with that. Amazing. By the way, I would say you have succeeded. What's your definition of success that you feel you haven't attained it yet? Um, I, I, I always remember this um, uh, speech that uh, Matthew McConaughey said. Uh, I think when he won his Oscar, they, I think they asked him, you know, who, who does he look up to? And he said, me in 10 years time. That's not being egotistical. It's kind of, you know, that you're, tr you're going to be improving in every area every single day. So you in 10 years time is going to be a much better person than you now. So that's who I'm looking up to. That's who I'm striving to be. So I think you could link that to, to the business. We want our business to be the best possible environment for people to grow and enjoy their lives and their work. Um, and are we there yet? I mean, we, we're, we're trying every day. We probably haven't succeeded. And there, and there probably is no point at which we would say, yeah, it's done, which is this continuous development thing. I don't ever feel I'm going to be done in improving. Things change. Um, and so, yeah, that's it's an interesting awesome. concept. I think ambition is sometimes um, a curse as well as a gift because I, every, everything that we achieve, I still feel like there's more to do. I totally understand. Now that you've explained it, it's it's the success is an ongoing process that's unfolding and that you never quite get to where, you know, you ultimately want to be. And in fact, the more you succeed, the more it becomes possible and then maybe the yeah. bigger your vision expands as well. Um, so could just, could you give an example of the sort of system or process that you had in mind when you said, will this do for a hundred person business rather, or, you know, rather than just making something that will do for two people? Yeah, I, I think um, the CRM or, or ATS is, is a yeah. very obvious example of that. Mm -hmm. So we invested in, in that very early doors um, mm -hmm. and any of our HR processes. So even when there were only, say, four or five of us, we were really living and breathing our processes and our policies that we put into place. And because, as I mentioned, it can be very easy when there's just a handful of you to not take it as seriously as you could um, and not maybe be as professional as you should. And so, that, yeah, those sort of examples that um, mm. we took and, and everything that we did when building the culture. So we, um, we searched deeply again about what our values could be. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously values are very specific to each different business. And ours, are, we call it the Karen West Pie which is passion, integrity, and excellence. We didn't design it to say pie. I think that was uh, that, that came later. Um, but if you go out into our offices back there, and well, we've got, say, 65 people now, I'm sure you would really get a great sense that everyone's very passionate about what they do. They want to be the best mm -hmm. they can be, and that comes from the top. Um, and, yeah, I forget the question now that you've asked us, but um, in terms of systems, our, our values were part of that. We really embedded them from day one in our culture, knowing full well that we were going to be of this size and culture is so important. And so we try to, to kind of live and breathe from day one, our values and our culture and 
policies and processes which are part of that. Wow. So you guys actually put in place a lot of this stuff very early on, way earlier than many companies who just sort of organically mm. evolve um, like the values, which I'd like to learn more about in a, in a second. One of my mentors is a guy called Romney Ross, who's now retired, but he was a director at Reed PLC and he was involved in various startups, mergers, acquisitions. And he told me, if you want to make your business grow, then you need to act as if you are a PLC and almost uh, conduct, you know, structure things in a very rigorous way um, with the intention of it, you know, growing into the systems and the processes and everything that you're putting in place. And you'll find that you're able to grow a lot more smoothly and, and, and quickly. Yeah. Um, what, uh, so those values were established early on. What was your process for identifying those? Um, it, it comes, it, well, it stems from our why, the current most why. We, we, we want to be the best we very can be. So how, how does that come uh, or where does that come from? You, you can't do that without being passionate. So the way we describe it to the people out there, what gets you out of the bed in the morning when it's rainy, it's grey, it's a Monday, you've got to get the training. Um, so, you know, what, what drives you? Money is not the answer. When we interview people, we always, always ask about motivation. When you hear money, maybe controversially, I don't think that's a motivator, even within recruitment. Something else needs to help drive you. And being the best is kind of what we try and surround ourselves with. So um, being passionate to do that. Um, then also, because we want to create a business and have always wanted to create business, which is sustainable and will leave a legacy, you've got to do things in the right way, So, that, which is why integrity comes into that. Everything we do, we do um, with a view of we still want to be doing business with this person next year in five years' time. So if you cut a corner um, or, or act not with integrity, without integrity, um, you're not going to be able to do that. And our, our client retention is is off the scale. It's it's brilliant. We don't we don't lose clients, um, because everything we do we do in the right way. So that's where the integrity came from. Then the excellence within recruitment or with any with, with, within anything, especially sales, I suppose. Unless you're first, you might as well not have competed because that's the only time you ever get the fee, right? And um, so you, we have to be better. So we we look at kind of like the winning edges, um, which is a term I'm sure you're aware of. You know, getting your nose in front of the competition by really striving every day to be the best you can be. So that's where they came from. It just really developed from the why. And when uh, we were speaking before the recording started, and I said, you know, we had to learn a lot, and some things we were doing it inadvertently. We didn't realize actually how important and how much of an impact these decisions that we were having when we were putting the foundations down would have in the future. Um, but we did always know that creating culture is very, very difficult, especially if you've got a bad culture already. So creating it from day one, we understand is very important because to change it is very difficult. Brilliant. So I'm trying to get a picture here. You guys are in a converted garage. Mm. You've got a, you know, a, a makeshift desk, two laptops. Um, what would, did you know, like in, intuitively what your values were, or did you go through a sort of brainstorming process to identify like it's passion, integrity, excellence? Like what was the actual, cause I, I mean, I've done this ex as an exercise with recruitment companies before and, you know, with leadership teams where they haven't really formalized it yet, because I do think it's really important. So I'm really interested in what, like, what your process involved. Yeah. So our, our senior leadership team, we would um, take full days out the office for uh, a management uh, or senior leadership team workshop. Um, so this would be off site, and we tried to do sort of four or five a year. Um, so part of as that SLT is is developing, you need to make sure that you're you're um, agreeing on a certain number of values as well. So beyond our pie, our passion, integrity, and excellent, excellence, we would look at and work on other values that mean a lot to us as we develop. So we can't just rely on the three, but what else um, do, we, do we look to um, hold each other accountable for? So it's, it. it's, it's an ever-involving <laughs> um, thing. They're creating your values. Yeah. And how I'm always interested in how the values actually affect and 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 you know the sort of day to day and the decisions and the way people behave, kind of in the in the business and how that's integrated. Whether because I feel like a lot of people just have values 
on a plaque on the wall mm. or if at all, like maybe the, a lot of the employees don't even know the values. Like, so it's just words. It doesn't really mean anything. So how yeah. do you actually apply the values? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we've, we've got things on our mugs, on our water bottles, on the wall, in our handbook. So we've got a handbook that everybody gets when they start. Great. Within our end of quarter reviews, we even ask um, what, what the values mean to our staff. Our, sorry, our colleagues um, and you know how they feel they show those and demonstrate them throughout the previous quarters. We also give mm. awards on a monthly basis where we stand up and give out vouchers for certain things and people can nominate their colleagues for times that they've shown and demonstrated these values gone above and beyond. So we really try to integrate them with everything we do within the business. Um, and so I, I truly feel that everybody out there does does believe in it. but. When it comes to making decisions and how they influence our, desi- our, our decisions, um, I think that's very profound. I think because the SLT do live and breathe them as well, we have to behave in that way. Otherwise, it means nothing to, to the rest of our colleagues. So um, I always use the phrase, we'll just get us closer to our vision. So our vision does evolve over time, um, but the vision is based on the Carrington West why and our values. So it all stems from those. So we have a vision of creating the best workplace possible where everybody achieves their work-life blend uh, and can flourish. So when we sit down and this generally happens, um, genuinely happens, we go, does this get us closer to our vision? And this will be maybe we're deciding on our paternity leave policy or things like that when we're updating bits and pieces. So we will make, we would say that and go, right, okay, we need to be doing this in this way. So it really mm. does affect us by, by looking at our vision and the goals we want to achieve for this year. With, with, will decision A or decision B get us closer to that? All right. Fantastic. You've said a few things really interesting I want to pick up on. One was earlier, if we rewind, you talked about when you're interviewing, you know, you're not necessarily looking as at the people who say that they're super money motivated, which is completely opposite of most recruitment MDs who say, you know, when we're interviewing, we're looking for the people who are really hungry, who want to make a lot of money, you know, where that's a huge driver for them. And so you're sort of stance on that is quite um, quite different. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, and Contrarian we, was the word that I was looking for. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it may be unusual. It's not as if we turn people down if they say money is their motivator. We dig a bit deeper because I think yes. it rarely is. My motivator, for instance, I'm very competitive. I, I don't mm-hmm. like losing. So that's kind of my motivator. And, and my, my way to achieve motivation within this is to be better. And so mm-hmm. that's why we keep striving. We've got mm-hmm. people here who just want to prove their parents, prove to their parents that they could do it. They might come from quite affluent backgrounds, but that's mm-hmm. their driver. It, I mean, you if you're not getting paid for it, yeah, you're probably going to be unhappy. But that, but that's not the drive. Um, but also people might say money. Um, and in, yeah, is it the six whys, Mark? Or you might be able to say where you just keep digging deeper and deeper, yeah. build that onion. And we might get to the bottom of, right, why do you want to make money? Well, to give my family a nice life. Why do you want to do that? Because I didn't have so many things when I was growing up. And I, and I want my child to have better um, opportunities than me. And so you build that peeled that onion all the way back down so eventually they're picking up that phone because they want to give the child uh, their children the best life possible and so actually right. it's not just money it's about helping your family and then that's quite it's a lot easier to motivate someone from that uh, in that instance isn't it yeah no great example love that thank you for explaining the, the peeling the onion and the six whys um that's really powerful i feel like as leaders, you need to understand what motivates your team members and don't assume that's the same as you or the same for everybody. Cause each person, I mean, of course, we're all human beings. We're going to have things in common in terms of that, but the, the way it's expressed or the way that it really impacts that person will be different from one to individual to another. Mm-hmm. Um, what you mentioned a term white work life blend. What mm-hmm. does that mean? Um, so uh, a lot of people would describe it as a work-life balance. To me, that seems mm-hmm. like that would be more 50-50. You can spend more time at work than you are at home. So uh, uh, the balance is a wrong term. Blends to me is um, looking at people's well-being. Um, I heard an interesting term sentence the other day. I'm not sure where, where from. Is If you don't 
look after your well-being, you're going to end up looking after your illness. And you know, mm. having people, you know, we don't need people here to seven o'clock every night burning themselves out. Actually, we'll get a lot more from them um, if they're if they're their well-beings are high and they're very healthy and they're enjoying their work. So mm. we want to try and achieve um, a situation <laughs> where everybody um, has that blend that keeps them very happy and motivated at work. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely it does. And how, on a practical basis, how do you promote that and what does that potentially look like? Um, and to be to be candid, um, this is a journey that we've been on for the last year or 18 months. So previous to that, we may have been, and and this is me, I'm sure, may have been right, kind of, you know, if I want something to, to happen, I'm going to work really hard to do it. I'm going to stay till seven, eight o'clock at night, really show the staff that I'm putting it in, putting the hours in and the hard work and the graft. That, that had never really done me any, any favours. And so to do this practically, you have to kind of start at the top. If I need to leave at 430 um, we, we run a flexi time here. Um, I'm going to, you know, people will see me do that so they can see my behaviors uh, are XYZ and know that it's okay to do these things. Um, and so you have to manage via trust. Um, and I think Stephen Covey, the, the son, not, not the dad, did a, did a good, um, session on why trust is the most important thing you can have within a business. Um, and so these things, so if you're managing on trust, you can really then have a practical way to promote well-being. So you tell me when you are, you're coming in, if you need, to, if you've got an appointment, if you're really feeling bad, take a day off. So you're managing on trust because we're looking at kind of people's intent and the outcomes that they can produce. Um, we've got flexi time, uh, working from home policies and things like that. So that's how we can maybe more practically promote those things as well. Brilliant. Love it. That makes a lot of sense. So <clears throat> let's go back to the sort of phases of your growth. So uh, you and your co-founder in the Converter Garage, um, how did things evolve from there? So, um, yeah, there were two of us um, in this converted garage. We realized we had to get out and um, we took up very temporary, uh, sorry, not temporary, kind of a rented room in Regis, mm -hmm. uh, in the actual building we're in at the moment, which was smaller than the current room I'm in now, which is our boardroom. So we had two windows um, very close together. And we then brought on two further directors, Alex Kerr and, and Nick Rowe, who they joined maybe up to 18 months a bit later um, under some sort of shareholder agreement uh, situation because they were looking at doing something similar, but complementary to us, um, our business. And that helped to kind of really boost where we were going gave, gave us a bit of an injection. Um, I always say two heads are better than one, but four are much better than, than two. So, you know, and we're all very different people. We then continued to, to add and we, we brought another director, Blaine Carhill. Um, and as we slowly added, we got our FD probably th three, four years ago now, um, as you had bis business functions. So, um, that's generally kind of how, how we, we, we move forward. We were growing at quite a rapid rate in terms of headcount and turnover. More than 50% a year for the first five years is, is, is probably wow. you know, rel relatively easy to do because you're starting from a low base. <clears throat> um, and yeah, we just had faith in our processes and just kept building on that. Um, I, I, again, liken it, and I'm probably using too many references here, but I, I liken it to the flywheel, the um, in, People might be familiar with the example of the Amazon flywheel um, in terms of if you do X, Y, Z, you can't help but get the um, ABC and, and vice versa. And you keep going round and round. So if you keep doing the, the right thing. So if you imagine a flywheel, rather than one big push, like an injection of cash, everything that you're doing, you're giving it tiny pushes every, every time on the way around. So our flywheel would kind of... Um, be kind of, you know, if you treat our staff well, motivate them. You can't help but get more business. If you get more business, you can't help but make more money. If you make more money, but you can help, but you should then invest further into your working environment and your people. If you invest in your working environment and your people and your land development, you can't help but have good, well-motivated people. If you And then so it just keeps going round and round. So uh, every aspect of that flywheel, we'd give it another little nudge and invest time, money, and focus 
on on that flywheel. So we've always really just trusted in that process, and it seems to be working. So you know we're we're, we're quite happy with that at the moment. I like the flywheel analogy. That's a that's a good one. So this is a different. Uh, pathway to growth than I've spoken about with other entrepreneurs. So I'm really interested. You didn't just try and do it all yourself, you and your your co-founder. You actually brought in other people at a senior level as directors, as, as, as shareholders. And did each person have a specific like industry sector they specialized in or how did that how, how did you work together and complement each other? Yeah, no, that's it. So we, we've always been very specialist in, in what we do um, so, and we, we continue to do so. So Simon and I were very focused on just like, like highways, infrastructure markets. Alex and Nick were looking at the water, environmental utilities market. So there's some crossover within that. And so as we, as we grow, we kind of keep growing those sectors, splitting them up a little bit. So now our highways team, for instance, will do kind of public and private. They'll, they'll split that a little bit, split it regionally. So each team and then growing and growing and, um, and starting to dominate each of their markets. So it's the same with utilities. Um, then we, we're, we're winning so many clients and we're getting lots of maybe rail jobs on. So right, we were like, right, let's start looking into that and brought specific people on to start building our rail team, similar with buildings and town planning. So it happens very organically. And, and each of our spheres of specialism overlap. So it makes it um, very complementary. So we're all sharing clients. So a lot of the big consultancies, we will probably fill jobs or make placements in um, with every part of the business. And we've always said we don't want to dip our toe into anything. We're not going to go, right, just because we know there's a, say, finance vacancy there. We're not going to try and do that. That's not what we're great at. And we want to mm-hmm. be great. So... We, you know, you've got to choose and uh, pick and choose your the vacancies you will work and the clients you work with. So, keeping that focus may have been difficult at times, especially if there's a lull. You're like trying to grab uh, grab at straws, uh, grasping at straws. Sorry, um, but you have to stay disciplined and just uh, remain within your sectors because that's how you become number one in what you do. James, uh, this all makes total sense. Now, did you know these guys before you brought them into the business? Because that seems like, although everything you said makes sense, but it seems like it could have been a risk to bring someone in at that level Mm. in case you hadn't been compatible with each other or something. Yeah, totally. Uh, We did know these guys. Um, Well, we knew their reputation. We didn't know them maybe as well as we should have done. And that's a huge risk. And we've had some bumpy times, of course, but we've really learned that having different points of views, different strengths and weaknesses is what will make an SLT um, more effective. And that's something that we've been working on hugely over the last few years is creating uh, an SLT that's that's massively effective. We have healthy conflicts. strong commitment and if you look at the five dysfunctions the the Lencioni side of things book and and theory um we work very hard on that if everybody thinks the same and does the same then it's you know you're, you're going to be relatively weak and maybe miss out on opportunities but because we disagree and have different points of view and most importantly you have very different strengths we work really well but it's recognizing those strengths and how to work with each other it's not always been easy um uh, of course not. And, you know, we're in a high pressure role. And, 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 you know, when you've got COVID going on in the background or other big kind of legislation changes, things can, can get quite hot under the collar. But learning how to work together is, is one of the most fundamental things you can do as a business. Um, and that's something that kind of since I've become MD has been my primary, primary focus. Awesome. Um, that makes sense. I guess if you all buy into the vision and the values, mm. then, you know, you can, you, you can still collaborate with people who are very different to you, right? Yeah. What was exactly. the name of that book uh, that you mentioned? I'm not familiar with that one. The, the, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team yeah. by Patrick okay. Lencioni. Oh, cool. Um, I'll check that out. It was actually, it was a book re- recommended to me just as I became MD and I was speaking to, so I, I joined uh, Vistage. I'm not sure if you're aware oh, yes. of Vistage. I, I know um, Vistage, yeah. Yeah, say two or three years ago, because mm-hmm. when I became MD, I didn't know what I was doing. I had, I had no idea what an MD does. Um, I had to draw up my own specification. What should I be focusing on? How do I create most value to the business within my role? 
Um, mm. And so I joined Vistage to get some good support from that, which has been fantastic. Um, but one of the first things someone said to me is, go and read that book. And we've been running and managing the SLT. And more recently, our management team under our leadership development program um, has been based on the fundamentals from the five dysfunctions. So you start off with having trust within the team. If you don't have trust, you can't do anything. Having a healthy and effective management team is probably the biggest US, it's not a USP, it's the biggest advantage one company can have over, uh, over another. Um, so you've got to have trust. So you work very hard on creating that because, again, it's not something like going to the gym or mowing the lawn. Once you've done it once, it's not finished. You have to continue to work on it. Um, so if you can have trust, you can have healthy con- conflict. If you can have healthy conflicts, you can get commitment. If you've got commitment, you can hold each other accountable. And if you hold each other accountable, you can really focus on the results and the results are much better. So that's what we look at building this. And it's a pyramid of, of principles um, that, that you've got to work on constantly because as soon as the trust starts to deteriorate, which it can do, especially when everybody's working remotely and things like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough, but you've, you've got to keep working on it. And when it goes well, it's one of the most powerful things you can do as a business. Wow. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You mentioned like stepping into this role as managing director, you didn't really fully understand what that would involve or what you should be focused on. How has, how did you develop that understanding of what does your role involve like now? What? Yeah, um, it, it took a long time. Um, it was speaking to other MDs, CEO mm-hmm. mentors who would help um, describe kind of what their experiences have been you get a bit of imposter syndrome um Mm. and i think it's very very common and to realize it it is very lonely at the top it can be because you know who do i moan to everyone else can you know moan moan all all the way up the chain but um or complain and things but so it's having a bit of a support network um i have a coach as well um and so going through um what my priority should be, how do I add most value to the business is come from speaking to other people outside the business. It's not something that anybody just innately knows. It is learned um, and, and it evolves. So, but, but my sort of um, main priorities, I kind of got three. The first one was like, I need to get this, this management team, sorry, the senior leadership team um, together. I need to build a team. And we worked really well together and everyone's very focused on what they do and everyone's great at what they do, but we were potentially quite siloed initially. But so bringing us together as a team, and I don't think even the, our, the rest of our colleagues looked up and saw us as an effective team. We were individuals. So that was my first thing. Next thing was continuing to strengthen the culture. Um, it could be very easy for our culture to slip as you grow, especially if you grow fast. The new people need to get bought into that quite quickly. Um, so we, we've done a lot of things like IIP, Investors in People, um, Handbook, changing the way that we do our uh, recruitment, our onboarding, um, and other bits and pieces like that. So that really kind of cements the culture. But also then finally is, is the learn development that's one of my big passions. And a couple of years ago, we made a, uh, a very deliberate uh, decision to focus on learn development within our staff. 
to the point we actually won last year um, best lender development UK wide by the investors and people up to 250 wow. staff Lloyds Bank I think won the won the above 250 staff so we're very proud of that because you know it's a very big focus for us if we're keeping people which we are our retention rates over 90% each year we um we want to make sure they're the best that they can be and so we live and breathe it as well so the SLT, we do huge amounts of development, so I make sure that goes on because it's very easy to forget about that um, when when you know you've got day to day business to run. Um, so all of our staff can see that going on at the highest level, so they want a piece of that action. So from day one here, you you get a huge amount of learning development. Um, we've got this great hub with hundreds of hours of videos on uh, career paths and other bits and pieces, and we're adding to it every day. Um, and now beyond uh, that, this year we launched our leadership development program because we realized as we were growing, pardon me, the gap between the SLT and the rest of our colleagues was maybe getting a bit bigger. Um, so we needed to make sure that we were developing that next level of management. I don't like the term middle management. Um, I prefer future leaders. So they're, they're in there and we've got this great development program where uh, we've got some world-class speakers coming in that we've booked for, for the whole year. We have managing, management workshops. So last Thursday, we spent a day working on how to build their trust as a team, which I think went down fantastically. Um, we have coaching sessions within the business. So each of our SLT coaches a manager from a different division. Each of those managers coach uh, a brand new member of staff from a different division. So we hope that really fosters engagement as well and people feel supported. So we've got a number of things like that within our leadership development program. So we're very proud of that. That seems to be working really well so far. So they're my priorities in short, yeah. Amazing. Let's. I'd like to dig deeper on your learning and development program that you've won like the best in the UK uh, for companies under 250 staff. That's a, a fantastic achievement. Hmm. You've highlighted a few of the key things there. So you've got the um, leadership development program. You've got a sort of a really interesting coaching program internally where people have an opportunity to get coaching from someone who isn't their manager, who's in a more senior role. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned the online learning hub where you've got lots of uh, training videos. You mentioned bringing in outside speakers, world-class speakers on a, on a regular basis. Um, what are, what, are there any other elements to it? Um, so we, uh, because we are so passionate about um, continuous improvement, I think when you behave, when the leaderships behave in a certain way, everybody else really does follow suit. So we make sure that that's, that element is is there. We also have, we, we give Audible to our staff so they can listen to lots of books. Cool. Um, mm -hmm. We have an independent learning resource, which is a bookshelf. So we're continually mm -hmm. adding to that, recommending. And it's, I tell you what I really love, and this gives me, great deal of satisfaction. When I overhear one member of uh, one of our colleagues speaking to another junior member of colleagues, recommend the different books they can go and read because this really helped in this area, sharing experiences. It makes me really proud because I know that I've been pushing this for, for years and now everybody else is kind of doing it without me. And so I've got mm. this kind of got momentum within the business where everybody just wants to improve. That's so satisfying. So, yeah, we've got Beautiful. a few aspects like that. The SLT, again, we really push to do regular training sessions um, from, for staff without uh, colleagues that aren't within their scope of um, management. So, yeah, we try and just make it look as if, you know, this is normal for us. Everyone's doing it. You know, get involved. Absolutely. I love it. And it is very much a mindset and it has to come from the top that, number one, um, we want to continuously improve and nobody should be just happy with, you know, their current performance. Everybody from the from the managing director through to the, the new staff can always be improving and that... Um, you know, people are open to feedback and, and, and are coachable, you know, and that getting coaching isn't remedial. Everybody gets coaching. The, the MD gets coaching. The senior leadership team gets coaching um, in order to, you know, help them to be the best mm. at what they're doing. And I find that the best recruitment companies that I'm involved with have that culture 
mm-hmm. where everybody's receptive to feedback. Everyone wants to learn and to improve. Um, whereas other companies where I've maybe um, been exposed to, but decided not to get involved with are ones where the owner says, oh, you know, this this person's underperforming or this team need to be better. So can you work with them? But it's almost like a punishment, right? Mm, it's not yeah. like a, a benefit of, of working there. And I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Um, of course, you know, yeah, I, I think, I think it starts with showing vulnerability from the okay. top. It's okay not to know everything. You don't have yeah. to be on top of your game the whole time. It's, and when you're not, you say, look, I need help right now. I'm struggling. I don't really get that. Well, that's a big gap in my knowledge. And, and the SLT are very verbal. And I know I've been verbal about the SLT um, to their staff about some of their development points. It do, it's not a weakness. Showing vulnerability, I think, is, is a huge strength. And if you show that, then everybody else within the organization feels it's acceptable to ask. Yes. And it's seen as a it's seen as a benefit, as you say, learning yeah. development um, or a reward for being open and vulnerable. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if you frame that mindset in the correct way, it's not right. You're, you're struggling with your job. You're not very good because I'm telling you you're not making enough money. Let's try and train you. We don't do it like that because, yeah, it's not a punishment, is it? It's everybody yeah. wants to be better. Awesome. Do you know like what your investment is on, on L&D per, per head? Is that something you measure or? No. Um, that's, that's an interesting question. I'll, I should go away and get that figure because it's, it's quite big. Um, and, but I think every, every, pound that you put into the island you get back fivefold at least even if it's totally. just just because it's a nicer place to work like if you know i'm happy to do that if it just brings everybody up um was it they say a rising tide raises all boats so everybody yes. in business is just going like that um and one one thing we we really focused on during the uh the initial lockdown covid and things and Obviously, I'm sure everyone's very bored about talking about this now, but we were lucky that we, we had launched our uh, Learn Development Hub, so our online system, prior to all of this happening. So we really leaned on that. Um, and our, our message was, we're coming out of this pandemic stronger than we went into it. So we furloughed as few staff as we could, essentially people who really just couldn't do a, a slip of work. And um, so you know, much less than any of our competitors. And we brought them back as quickly as we could as soon as we saw any green shoots. But what we did is we said, look, we want you to focus on building relationships with clients. Don't go and ask them for vacancies. Build relationships, support each other, but also really look at your learned development. So I felt we were like a coiled spring over over COVID. We came out in kind of what a September is when things really started to, to get busy again. And boy, did we shoot. So we had our busiest ever month in November both permanent contracts. Then we had our busiest ever month in January, then again in March. Now this is happening again. Um, and actually during last year, we, we turned over more than we did the previous year. And our head really? count actually wow. grew. So Amazing. I'm not sure how many businesses could say that. So I, yeah. I could be pretty, um, pretty proud of that and everyone here should be. Um, and that's because I think we we managed it in the right way. So many people just didn't look after their staff. And our one thing right at the start, the SLT got together on the day we always leave the office and said, we're going to stand by you. We're going to continue to invest in you and we're going to get through this stronger. And we, and if you look at our vision, so, you know, should we make lots of furlough decisions here, save us money? The question we asked the SLT all asked ourselves and the board was, we'll just get it closer to our, closer to our vision. And no, it wouldn't. What gets us closer is stand by them, making them feel supported and giving them some learning and development opportunities during, during a really tough time. So that, that's, that's an example of where our values and vision and our why made that decision much easier for us. Amazing. And that, I'm sure in retrospect, was proved correct because mm. the companies that were... Maybe luckily, but yeah, maybe we, well, we were lucky with it. I mean, you do need the cash reserves to be able to pull that yeah, off. But, of um, you know, the companies that quickly made redundancies and, and didn't necessarily communicate or treat people in an ideal way are now wanting to recruit again and may find it harder this time yeah. around to attract the best people because that reputation isn't 
isn't going to disappear over overnight. Exactly. Um, and I think if, so, if I was interviewing somewhere, I, my first question would be, how did you manage the coronavirus, uh, the, the COVID lockdowns? What did you do? Mm. Um, one one thing we did, and this this took a lot of a lot of my time, but every single day I wrote a big email to all staff. And I collated all of the successes that we had. So somebody that could have been brand new made a certain number of calls. And that's not just the KPI we look at, but someone else would pick up a vacancy. And so you'd be sharing these these sunshine emails each every day to say, look, we're still in business. We're still working hard. We've got these engagement things coming up. And someone else got a job on set of our green shoots. Like, let's just keep working, keep positivity up and and – I've heard some horror stories of people saying, oh, I didn't hear from my manager for six weeks. You think, that's crazy. You could be sat there thinking, is the business still going? I don't, you know. Um, so we worked really hard. And every day, it took me about an hour a day to, to write these emails. So at 5.30, everybody got this email. It was like, we're still here. We're still going. We're still positive about the future or optimistic. And, um, yeah, you guys keep working hard at this and we'll come out stronger. So that was the message every single day. Amazing. So, um, can I ask in terms of your, you know, your vision for the future, what, what have you got planned for your, your growth? So, um, this year, I think we've already grown by 10 headcount and our okay. plans, um, hopefully not giving too much away. We, we're looking to grow by 50% year on year. So, Although we did grow last year, it was probably by about 3% um, in terms of turnover. This year, we're looking at 50% growth because, as I say, we were cool to bring with better people than we've ever had. Um, so we're looking about that, and then we we aim for kind of a minimum 20% growth each year. So it's going to be higher next year, so 20 30% growth. We should finish at around 75 heads this year, um, and we've already done quite a lot of, of recruitment. So, yeah. Thing, things are looking very positive. We're busier than we've ever been. We've, got, we've had Amazing. more vacancies, more placements. So I, I even wrote some notes. I've got a I've got a SLT meeting a bit later and saying we've got record contract placements, record perm placements, record margins in all of them. And actually, we did we um, added more contract margin than we did in quarter one and quarter quarter two combined last year. So far in quarter two, which is we're only kind of uh, ten weeks in. So it's. Um, yeah, we're looking really, really positive. But we, in terms of my priorities, we're going to be looking a lot more at kind of wellness. Um, again, we focused on it a lot, but we don't want to stop just because it's over. It's obviously still not completely over. But you know, if we did some good things, then let's keep let's keep them going. Um, and but also uh, diversity and inclusion uh, is something that I think we 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 have the responsibility to do more on. And so we're trying to focus on that. We've got lots of training coming up next week for, I think, nearly all staff, which then will filter down. Um, yeah, trying to do a lot more on that because it's our responsibility um, as well. But the big thing, we've got our 10th birthday party uh, in August, uh, which will be a big barbecue theme thing. So that's, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to as well. Fantastic. That sounds fun. Tell me, um, what... Do you, all these records that you're you're experiencing? What else, apart from what we've already discussed, obviously in terms of having strong leadership team, excellent learning development, the correct culture, are there any other success factors that you feel have contributed to that performance? Um, no, um, I, I, in short, there's there's no golden, uh, sorry, silver bullet. Um, mm. For, for these types of things, which is why so many companies can get it wrong. They're constantly yeah. striving for that one silver bullet that makes all the difference. It's the flywheel. It's just yeah. we've got faith in the um, in the flywheel. We've got our colleagues who trust each other. We've got a healthy management team that can have conflict, but could, but all, will always commit to the outcome of decision. We know what our values are, and we live and breathe them um, because of the why that gets us up, and that's developed our our vision. So every decision, I think you mentioned it early earlier, even if there is conflict within the management team or senior leadership team, we've got a vision. So we all know where we're going. So actually, decisions aren't really that hard. And the conflict would be right. You want to get there by doing this. I want to get there by doing that. You know, I can only disagree with you so much because we're still heading to the same platform. Uh, or same same position so it's um 
yeah, I use the train analogy. Kind of, we're, we're definitely going somewhere. It doesn't really matter what what route we go there or who does what on the train, whether you're conducting, you're driving, or whatever. It's kind of we know where we're heading. Um, so you can only get so so much uh, so upset. But yeah, so I, I think just keep that flywheel going, and that's that's a big culture piece. Amazing, James. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, just looking at any notes I've made. No, so yeah, I think every, everything you mentioned is is very key. And, and as I said, you sort of yeah, you can't do anything without the right culture. Um, and so it's got to be focused for absolutely everybody. Uh, you don't know what you don't know, so get advice early doors is is one thing I would always say. Fantastic. Mm. What? Just one more quick question. You mentioned, and by the way, I noticed you guys have five stars on Glassdoor, which is unheard of. Most, you know, I, I've not seen that very often. Uh, you are part of mental health and recruitment. You've got gold for investors and people. What you mentioned well-being, like what practical things have you introduced in order to promote well-being? Um, so uh, n- a number of things. So within our, so we give health insurance to all of our, all of our colleagues. Part of that is um, mental health support, um, so that they can they can contact counsellors when they need to. We obviously we do we try to do a lot for uh, Mind as well. So the local Mind, which is a, a charity, mental health charity, um, UK wide, but I think um, we do with a local branch. So we show that there's a big focus on that. We try to be completely understanding. Um, it, you have to train your, your management team and your leadership team to spot things um, and also uh, be able to have good conversations with people. If you've got this, um, and this is from the seven habits side of things, if you've got a big bank balance with somebody in a, in a, within a relationship, you can you can use that to actually really dig into them and try and help them and they can, they'll, they'll trust you to do that. All, all, the, all the management team have had mental health training, first aid training. Um, we've got a couple of mental health first aiders. So our, our HR, senior HR advisor, um, really helps with all of these things with people. And they know that they can talk to talk to her um, in complete confidence. So generating that trust is, is something, again, is not super practical, but it's something that we work on every single day to enable more honest conversations to happen. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got some other support things. We also have um, Every Mind app. So we've signed up to that. So everybody has an app on their phone, which um, they can go and do certain exercises and contact counselors and other bits and pieces as well. Gives you hints and tips. On our hub, we've got a, a wellbeing button, button that during COVID we had like tips to stay fit, tips to do this, other, let, uh, this that, the other. Um, kept up contacts you've got to do lots of engagement events so we all did the, the the pub quizzes and we did a sports day and other bits and pieces like that you know sent care packages which a lot of people have, have done as well um so yeah we, we it's something that's always on top of our minds fantastic and it sounds like you are making a real commitment to that it's not just you know paying lip service you're, yeah. you're doing practical things to improve people's well-being so that's awesome yeah great james uh, i've really enjoyed our conversation thanks for thanks for your input today yeah no thank you as well yeah really enjoyed it too thank you so much for listening to the resilient recruiter if you've enjoyed the show the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.